welcome to a new episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. This is episode number 45. Hello, Carl. Hi, Rafa. I'm fine, thank you. A beautiful morning. Yes, beautiful morning. And mm. we're ready to talk about... Seasteading. Yes. This is probably not something a lot of people are aware of. No. Uh, but um, it could be coming to a international waters near you. <laughs> Who yes. knows? It's a, a new way, probably, to live. Uh, it's a new way to live that may mean we can try out different forms of organizing uh -huh. societies, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Very, very interesting. Yes, and like every week, hmm? do we start with the news? I think we should. Let's uh, do the news first. Okay, here we go. And we have our news uh, yeah. for this uh, week. Yeah. And we're going to start with one so interesting. We even have the sound for it. We do indeed. Why don't we play the sound and people maybe try and guess what it is? I don't okay. Know. Then here we go. Yeah. Listen carefully. Yeah. That was the sound. Uh, let's play it again. Yeah. So, what this is sound is made by bees. 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 And they are calling it the mystery of the whoop, whooping bee. Yeah. And it is actually, before anybody gets carried away, yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not actually a bee speaking, shall no. we say. It is a vibration. It's a vibration it? created over the honeycomb. Yeah, by individual bees. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the uh, people looking at it, uh, daughter, Dr. Martin Bessick from Nottingham Thank Trent you. University, yeah. he thinks he knows what's going on, which is that uh, these are Angry, angry bees. Beard. We all know about angry birds, right? Yeah. These are angry bees. Bees. And apparently bees have this behavior, one of their behaviors is that they headbutt each other. Uh -huh. One is to get attention and the other, well, they have other reasons, but one is to get attention. But apparently this sound mm -hmm. has been associated with this headbutting. Yeah, and, and, and he, when they are upset. Uh, yeah, he thinks they're... they're, uh -huh. they're yeah, and it's been called that whoop whooping signal exactly because it sounds because like it that. sounds like it, and it, whoop, it's like it, it's like the tense. Uh huh. It's like us going whoa, uh -huh. like that. Exactly. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. On to the next one. Oh yeah, the next one is a world record was set um, this week uh, by India, and they launched a hundred and four satellites from a single rocket yeah that's wow that is um, now when you break it down obviously uh well not obviously but something like 96 of the satellites were what we now call what are now called microstats mm -hmm. so they're very quite small you know some of them are like as big as a shoebox about that big yeah um a lot of them came out of the u.s uh i think one from canada i think I think only three of them were from uh, India, which mm -hmm. was the main payload, shall we say. Yeah. But nevertheless, uh, to actually successfully deploy... And it was over the course of 18 minutes. Yeah. It's amazing, right? Uh-huh. Um, 
So, yeah, um, the satellites uh, covered all kinds of stuff from surveillance to commercial stuff to university experiments and all that stuff. And as far as we know, they all got launched correctly. Quite yeah. amazing. Everything was okay, yeah. So what have we got after that? The next one is a very interesting one related to Winston Churchill. Yes. Because... Mr. Uh, we Will Fight Them on the Beaches. Yeah. Winston Churchill wrote of alien life mm. in a lost essay. That's right. And now... He's recently rediscovered. Rediscovered. Yeah. yeah. And he said some quite interesting things, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> he sent an essay to his publisher. In October 39. Yeah, in October th uh, 39. Yeah. Uh, just weeks after Britain entered the World War II, mm. that he was pondering there the existence of extraterrestrials. Yeah, which was amazing, as he had quite a lot on his mind at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and he said some quite interesting things, actually. Yeah. And um, he, um, he was... At, it's thought that he was actually responding in a way because at the time that he wrote it was actually very shortly after... Um, World War II. Orson, no, Orson Welles' ah, did the, um, War of the Worlds War broadcast, of the Worlds, yes, yes. Which, yeah. of course, uh, famously led to an outbreak of panic to a certain degree uh -huh. in New York State, New York, uh, because people thought that the broadcast was actually a news broadcast because yeah. it was done in a kind of newsy style. Mm -hmm. And this article that Winston wrote was done shortly after that. And he was so into the subject... Yeah. That he even ordered a suspected sighting of a uh, UFO by the Royal Air Force yeah. to be kept a secret for 50 years to avoid mass panic. Yes, I don't know what that was, actually, that sighting. We have got a link there, but we haven't yeah. got time to look at it. But if you recall, Rafa, in the Second World War, there were actually a number of incidences of what were called sightings of what were called Foo Fighters. Yeah, the Foo Fighters. Which was like, they looked like glowing... Balls, balls or objects, fly, yeah. which were like pacing bombers and things like that and moving about and they look very controlled yeah. and so on. Um, so there was some weird stuff going on during the Second World War. Um, people say that this article was hmm. uh, said uh, very in a scientific way and logic. Well, he was a very rational, logical man. Yes. Um, and... He again. It is thought that um, again he was very uh, a very rational thinker, uh -huh. and he had a very uh, science oriented interest in his early years, and uh, he was very interested in the origin of species type yeah. science and all that stuff. This eleven page uh, mm. essay mm. has uh, several parts in which he starts from defining what is life, mm. then the details of the requirements for life to exist. Yeah. And progressively, he starts to go to uh, the existence of life in other in, solar systems. Yeah, he kind of did a very logical progression. Uh, and he did it before other more famous studies with yeah. the same ideas and the same logic. And apparently this article is going to be published at some point for uh -huh. people to read. To so read it. Very interesting. Yeah. And those were the news uh, for this week. Very good. Yeah. And we arrive now to our main topic of this episode 45. Uh-huh. Waterworld Seasteading. Seasteading. Not everybody's yeah. heard of that, right? I think everybody has seen the movie. 
Or at least oh, I, I would suppose everybody has seen the movie. Well, you mean Waterworld? Waterworld. Yeah, that's the only movie I could find that was related to this. Exactly. Anywhere near this concept. <laughs> Which we will talk about that after. Yeah, I decided that film was so bad I wouldn't include it, but it's the only it's one. It's the only one. <laughs> so what is seasteading? So shall I just... Um, yeah. Just Okay, so seasteading, it's a made-up word, um, kind of related to homesteading. So seasteading is the concept of creating permanent dwellings at sea. And we're not talking about single occupancy things. We're talking about multiple occupancy, almost uh-huh. like uh, the concept is a small village, town, city, ultimately. Um, and it will be located in international waters and therefore beyond the territory of any government. Of any government. Which is interesting. And um, it's kind of uh, the kind of advocates of seasteading are saying that um, pushing this technology and actually making it happen will actually accelerate developments of certain technologies to do with food yeah. technologies, um, uh, medical advances, uh, kind of environmental stuff. Um, and basically there is... The alternate view, the critics who of say, course. well, these are just going to end up being the refuge of the super wealthy. And, of course, we can obviously see that, um, obviously, Dr. Evil will obviously have one have of these. Have one of those. He'll either have a whole one. Now, I think this is going to create uh, a big uh, issue with countries and politics and Uh, well, what is interesting even is... Even war about dominating maybe one of them. Yeah, but... The, the, I mean, if there isn't a sci-fi film about this, somebody will have to make one, <laughs> Yeah, right? for but, sure. But there aren't any that we know of, and there are very few... I've not seen any books about it, but uh, the interesting thing about it is that once you're beyond... Um, if we just look at the notes about... Um, the law of the sea. Now, this is the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. And what that uh-huh. says is that any country, a country's exclusive economic zone only extends 200 nautical miles from the shore. 370 kilometers. Exactly. And that beyond that, that uh, space is known as the high seas or international waters, which are not subject to the laws of any sovereign state. Mm-hmm. So uh, a seastead uh, settlement would take advantage of the absence of law and regulation, mm-hmm. and it would be able to effectively establish its own governance. But then uh, maybe they will start to try to claim their own sovereignty But, yes, and recognition. That's the hope. And then, wherever you are in the sea, mm. you would still get your 370 kilometers around you as part yeah. of your territory. Potentially, yes. Potentially. And, of course, you could imagine... And what if you have two seasteadings very close and overlap? Exactly. Well, what if you... Well, <laughs> my thought was, what if you had a number of seasteads and they actually agreed a bit like you have... Uh, States po- and... Polynesia. Well, yeah. like you have Polynesia, which yeah. is made up of like 1,200 islands. Yeah. Why couldn't you have 
a country made up of many seasteads. Yeah. And they actually agree to be a... Federation or a something country, like that. A federation of seasteaders. Yeah. And, as you say, they could potentially establish their own sovereignty and mm-hmm. uh, international water limit and all that stuff. Um one thought that occurred to me was, which is, it sounds like a really nice idea, and you kind of think, well, if it's in international waters, how could how could they be stopped from doing it? But I think there is one very simple solution to uh-huh. how you could be stopped from doing it, and that is that to get to that international water, you've got to go through territorial water. Exactly. So to get your materials to make your seastead, you've actually got to be in somebody's territorial waters to start. With. Actually, this is an opportunity for any country to make a lot of money. If exactly. It becomes like a big thing. A big thing. Because while other countries might reject this idea yeah. because of maybe fear. Others might say, build your seastead here. I don't here, care. Right? Do your seasteading and cross through me. Exactly. And I tax you. Exactly. And if, <laughs> if, if we look uh, further in the notes, we'll see that a big um, a big um, thing has happened, a big event has happened, which is, um, which is that the Seasteading Institute, which is um, the kind of driving force behind all this, this uh-huh. globally, they have actually reached their first agreement with a, a sovereign government, which is French Polynesia. And... Uh, they have signed a memorandum of understanding with French Polynesia on January the 13th, 2017, that initially requires a um, a study to be done to figure out how they can go about creating uh, self-sustainable seasteaders, seasteading, uh-huh. and um, what... Uh, kind of changes in law would be required by French Polynesia to allow it and how much independence could be granted to the seasteader because initially, apparently in this uh, this understanding they have with uh, French Polynesia, the the um, whatever they build will actually be within the international waters initially of French yeah. Polynesia. But of course, at some point, they can just move it beyond that right and this agreement was just made january this year i know this is hot stuff right Mm -hmm. and they actually have a a company of marine engineers called blue Blue 21 21, who are uh structured as a social enterprise and a collaboration platform Mm -hmm. and uh they are there to do the engineering work on this initial seasteading thing and apparently the minimum uh, qualification to be a seastead, to be a, shall we say, an official seastead, and these are obviously things created by the Seasteading Institute, yeah. is that there are a minimum of 50 permanent residents. Uh-huh. So, uh, quite yeah. interesting. And actually, there have been also proposed uh, structures. Yeah. And among all of them, they have included, for example, cruise ships. Yeah. Uh, refit all platforms, right? Uh, the commission anti aircraft platforms, which there are a few of those, there? and some custom uh, built uh, floating islands, yeah. Which is uh, there's an image there actually of yeah. the, the kind of concept, and obviously, it looks very futuristic and blah blah, uh-huh. blah. And I'm sure it will 
start much smaller. If you look further down, Rafa, at the uh, Blue 21 uh, notes, you'll see a much more modest and uh-huh. one there. The, looks like a very small island with... It uh, looks like a holiday resort, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a resort. It looks like a desert island, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, with a like a... Like almost like a hotel on it. Exactly. You have a beach. You have people there. But this is a this is a floating structure, though. Yeah. Right. Can be moved. Can be moved. Right. Uh, And you've got to think about uh, what would motivate people to go and live on one of these islands. And according to. according to Blue 21, because they've done quite a lot of work about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, one of the issues is just land, right? We, yeah. Although, um, according to Blue 21, um, by the end of this century, the 21st century, I'm, I have to keep reminding myself which century we're in, <laughs> um, we will need an additional 22 million kilometres of land to live on and grow. Square kilometres. Square kilometres, a lot. A lot. But but I've actually looked at other data about just how much land we are occupying currently, and it's not very much. I think it's something like, if you take all the land that humans are actually occupying, it's only like 4% mm-hmm. of the available land mass. But not all of it's not convenient. Is, right? Or accessible. Accessible or, or sustainable. Or like we have talked before uh, about extreme yeah. life, well, where life can survive, extreme environment. If you just look at Australia, right? All, all the settlements in Australia, yeah. all the major ones are all around the edge, aren't they? All around. Because it's just inhospitable in the middle. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what Blue 21 is saying is that uh, we, we do need more land. Uh, so why not move people onto these floating cities and that grow would, their food? They grow their aqua aquaculture, as it's called, um, biofuels, biofuels, uh, and so on and so forth. And obviously, we're in a period of uh, climate change, yeah, and we are facing rising sea levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, if it be- gets to the limits of what it could be, we're looking at something like at least five meters of rising sea levels. Yeah, parts of land will disappear, which will completely redraw the coastal outlines of most countries. Yeah, for sure. And of course, a lot of uh, major cities are located on coastal areas. On coast thing. Yeah. So um, again, um, actually, kind of creating. Uh, seasteading communities, small towns, small cities, they could be modular, obviously. You mm-hmm. could add them as you needed them. Would potentially um, kind of um, relieve the pressure on trying to find ways of migrating those coastal cities yeah. inland or something, which is the only other alternative. Yes, and the, this idea of the biofuel is very interesting because yeah. uh, the idea behind it is that... Uh, while you are on the water, mm. uh, you can create uh, your own fuel by capturing the CO2 mm. uh, in floating algae forms. Yeah, that's right. So the, so the idea is that um, you break the connection with oil yeah, and uh, you kind of focus on, again, it's all aquaculture. So yeah. everything... Uh, Everything is derived from the fact that you're floating on this <laughs> on this resource. Now, yeah. I think the thing that I don't know about 
you're off of it. There have been attempts in the past. If you can imagine a town, uh-huh. even a small town, that was a seastead, let us say with 100,000 people in it, right? Uh-huh. Now, obviously, that's an awful lot of uh, waste product that you would have to 100% recycle, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you'd be just a huge polluter of the oceans, which are already yeah. suffering because of um, envir- um, all the know, waste atmospheric all the changes yeah. and pollution from chemicals and uh-huh. agro runoff from the land and all this stuff. So, yeah. so you would have to have systems that uh, recycled everything. Mm-hmm. But we know from previous programs that we have yet to actually create a self-contained, fully recycling environment for people Mm -hmm. to live in. Because we've talked about how, for example, do you get from Earth to Mars using current technology or whatever, you've got to have a completely self-contained bio structure. Mm -hmm. And we currently still don't know how to do that properly. Mm -hmm. And there have been various attempts to do it on land that have run for a considerable yeah. amount of time with huge amounts of money, and they've all failed. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, you're right. Because they've not been able to control the um, the pests and the uh, atmosphere properly, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So these are huge challenges for yeah. us. Uh, when I started to watch the images, you know what these remind me? Although mm-hmm. it's not exactly the same, but you could even say that it was a similar concept, trying to gain uh, space over water. Yeah. How the Aztecs uh, build up the capital city. Right. Teotihuacan, uh-huh. you know, where they build up pieces of land over the lake uh-huh. to be able to farm and do things in there. So everything they were created because of this piece of land built, built all around in the middle of the lake, right. huge lake. Right. Uh, well, they actually they had channels in between so they could transport everything uh, through there. So they built like islands with canals, as it were, yeah. between the, uh-huh. which was the lake. Exactly. Presumably. And everything was created because it's not like there were patches of land in the mm. lake. So they, they created the land there. They built it up. Yeah. And uh, the Spanish, when they arrived and saw this, they were like marveled about this. They had aqueducts running water. Yeah. Then so they killed on. everybody. Yes, then they killed everybody. <laughs> but uh, it's very interesting, this similar idea of creating your own system over the water where you can survive. Yeah. And like yeah. you said, in uh, in the event of a very big change of raising the sea level, mm. land going away. It may. Sounds like an option. And unfortunately, it sounds like the plot of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it does a bit. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a very interesting concept. And what partially interests me about the whole thing is that if you can imagine it as a giant ex- social experiment, can't you? Because Oh, yeah. Because if you uh, can create your own governance system, you can actually yeah. try out different governance systems, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. So you could create a seastead of, uh, I don't know, 10,000 people or something and have whatever kind of governmental system you want. Yeah. Well, don't, don't you think that that could also start to lead to failed experiments? I would <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is unless these things actually happen. Obviously, we're in early days with this. Yeah, of course. So it could be 
Um, we, we humans will change. Well, the Seasteading Institute are saying that by the end of this decade, which isn't far away, no, we should be seeing the first seastead. Now, I presume it will be quite small. But again, if you... And they have certain criteria about uh, that a sea... Living on seasteading should be affordable yeah. uh, and it should be obviously accessible to normal people average people uh-huh. now i suspect like most things it won't work like that it'll be a top-down thing a bit like you know how you start with a lot of things with technology in cars for example it all starts out in formula one and then it ends up ultimately in your family runabout but like 20 years later mm-hmm. right? when it becomes affordable so this seaside steading stuff i can imagine that it would be the billionaire's playground, right? Yeah, for sure. So you end up initially with uh, very rich people buying places or shares probably in a seasteading town or whatever it Mm -hmm. is, settlement, shall we say. And what interests me is, imagine, let us just say uh, it's a seastead of 500 rich dudes, right? Uh Uh-huh. And potentially with their families, and that's where they live most of the time, right? In fact, now I was thinking about uh, an organization. Yeah. If you have, like you said, several seasteadings uniting to be like a country, you can start to have, like in some sci-fi movies, specialized seasteadings. Yes. A seasteading creating only fuel, uh, biofuel, (laughs) another one creating the food, (laughs) another one creating this, 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 that, which is interesting. But I just had another thought, actually, while you were saying that about specialized settlements, shall we exactly. say, or seasteading. You, where I was going with my, uh, you have the billionaire yeah. seastead, and you, let us say you have, I don't know, 500 <laughs> families. Who's going to clean their house? Who's exactly. going to clean their apartment? So maybe you might have uh, other seasteads, which are where all the workers... workers. <laughs> <laughs> like a favela, a floating <laughs> favela, right? <laughs> So you can imagine it at all going to pieces quite quickly, can't yeah. you? Right? So they're all going to be there on their thing lashed together from oil barrels or something, and you're on your magnificent <laughs> paradise floating just... So, yeah, so very interesting subject. And yeah. we tried to find some books that might... That could relate somehow. Um, actually, we... We only kind of found one, uh-huh. and I say one. There is another one, which is actually the original Waterworld book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I decided not to include that because I really don't like that film. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we did find another book, and it's called Drowning Towers mm-hmm. by an author called George Turner. Mm-hmm. And uh, this book is about a character... Uh, Francis Conway, Conway, whose nickname is Swill, and it's set in the year 2041, and the sea levels have risen, all the coastal cities are inundated with water, and it's about that life is already difficult, but is rapidly becoming <laughs> impossible, and because of governmental corruption and uh, all this kind of stuff, People, yeah, the usual, the usual stuff, right? Uh, um, a young swill decides that he has to find a way to escape the approaching disaster, which is apparently continually rising 
seawater. So this is the nearest kind of thing we could find to to this yeah. subject. So it's an interesting subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've included lots of links. Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, what do you, in conclusion, what do you think about this sea study? In conclusion... Is it the rich man's escape um, It's interesting, escape but I route? think that would be a rich man's escape route. That's because what I think. I think the first uh, objective will be to be tax-free for them. It'll be that, plus it's going to need probably you need billions of dollars. Of course. So what do you do? You sign up the rich folk first. And in fact... There was already somebody. No, it's the founder of PayPal, right? Uh-huh. Um, we've got it at the, the top of the notes there. Peter Thiel. Yeah. He donated 500000 in the initial seed capital to start the Seasteading Institute. Correct. And has contributed $1.7 in total to date. Yeah. He gets the first penthouse, right? For sure. For He's sure. He's a secure place there. Yep. Floor-to-ceiling windows all the way around. imagine PayPal being totally independent in a state where the yeah. taxes will not apply to Ima- them. Imagine the data centers being on that system. On that system, where yeah. nobody is autonomous yeah. and nobody can and there. And this actually reminds me, just before we close, about um, around the United Kingdom, there are a number of what are called sea forts, and it refers here to, a, to stuff about gun emplacements, right? Uh So around the United Kingdom, mainly around the south coast, within the international waters, within three miles actually, there are these huge forts that look a bit like uh, oil rigs, but they're not. They're concrete stanchions sunk in the seabed. They're huge, right? They are huge. Now, the government actually sold those as surplus to various people. And... One of them, actually, I should have done a bit more research and covered it, but one of them actually wants to declare itself independence. Wow. It's been bought by a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And they are kind of pursuing that. But my point was that, um, you know, I forgot what my point was. <laughs> uh, I have got... What was my point? I can't remember. I don't know, but I also got an idea of um, uh, what could go wrong with a seasteading yeah. settlement. Mm-hmm. And it could become like it was in the old days, the pirate islands. The pirate islands. Right? Yes. But it could, but obviously you could imagine, I remember my point now, but you could imagine that obviously if you have your seastead, Yes, you can move it, but it ain't going to move very fast. And number two, it'll always be visible to a satellite, right? <laughs> yeah, so for sure. It, it's hardly as if you can escape the world's navies, is it? <laughs> and my, uh, sorry, my my point I was trying to make was about data centres, mm-hmm. is that, um, you, you can look this up online, there is actually a, um, the listeners, I mean, uh, there is actually, as far as I know, there is a data centre on one of these sea forts, mm. and it's actually completely uh, secure, shall we say, yeah. in that it's on one of these sea forts in the ocean. And you can imagine, although this is within international waters of the UK, uh, you can imagine, and in fact I have read about some efforts to establish data centres that are actually outside of um, jurisdictions of, anybody. of any country. And this seasteading kind of falls into that concept, doesn't it? Yeah. You you could have these, Mm -hmm. you know, completely untouchable, although you could drop a bomb on it, right? 
as I said, will turn out into war because... Because yeah. they'll get up to stuff, right? Somebody will say, what did you do? Others yeah. will say, well, I had to do it. Yeah. They have no say, choice. I don't agree. Uh-huh. Then they will rise, uh, read between the lines. Yeah. And they will start something that... Yeah, something will kick off, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway. I think that's it for the topic of today. An interesting What subject. do you think about this? Mm. By the way, did you like Waterworld? Let us know. Yeah, I can't believe anybody like that. <laughs> okay, that's it for the topic of today. Okay, thanks, Rafa. Thank you. And uh, finally, a really interesting kind of nature story that mm, has yeah. come out recently, right? Uh, personally, it, this looks really weird, I think, but <laughs> it's uh, a discovery made in some cave networks in Madagascar. Yes, because Madagascar has the even penguins there. Uh, they have all the cool stuff. All the cool story, yeah. And it's all very brightly coloured, apparently. <laughs> uh, anyway, the thing that was discovered in this uh, cave was a gecko, and this... Gecko called Gecolepis Megalepis, mm-hmm. which is a great name. Yeah, um, has this unique uh, quality, which is that its skin, if it is uh, attacked, it it can shed its entire skin in like one go. Yeah. So instead of um, you know, something biting it and getting a, a lump of flesh or something, the entire skin comes off. Yeah. And it looks like a chicken fillet. Yeah, and the thing is that it has the largest scales yeah. known to any gecko. They're huge. So that's why it helps a lot to master this um, yeah. ability, if you want to call it. Yeah, and it, apparently it says, um, they actually refer to them as fish scale. They call it mm-hmm. a fish scale gecko. Um, and the thing is that they're big. Yeah. And they're only attached to a very small yeah. uh, region, a narrow region. And they're adapted for tearing. And they really. can be teared apart very easy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if we'll give you a link at the end of the program, but mm-hmm. it looks pretty disgusting. And I presume, <laughs> I presume, I presume, obviously, it can then regrow. This, uh, uh-huh. these scales, right? Um, and as you say, this gecko seems to have the largest scales for its genus. Yeah. That's the right word. Um, and it's thought that the large scale makes them easier to um, tear. Um, and it's not known at the moment whether, uh, how long it takes for them to regenerate the scales. It's known that they can grow them back and that when they do it, they are scar-free. You just yeah, can't tell like nothing happened. Nothing happened. It's ready for the next time. Um, but it's not, I believe it's not known at the moment how long it takes. In the meantime, they're wandering around look, looking like a tidy barbecue item. <laughs> <laughs> All you want to do is pick it up, baste it in something, and slap it on the old ground. Oh, yeah. Ah, there's a nice gecko there. <laughs> a goujon of gecko. So, yes, that's uh, quite fascinating, but the pictures are horrible. I, <laughs> I don't know what you think. 
Yeah, they are horrible. It looks pretty horrible. What is the interesting mechanism of defense and survival? It's an ad adaptation, isn't it? And, yeah. um, and nature's full of these weird, mm -hmm. weird defensive mechanisms. But that is particularly gr gruesome and horrible, but... It doesn't seem to affect the gecko. It seems quite happy. Yeah. So, so that is that. And finally, it's a little bit yeah. weird. Um, interesting at the same time with yeah, this mechanism. Not everybody knows yeah. about. There's a link in the show notes if yes. you want to have a look at the horrible photos. <laughs> for sure. Uh, all it will do is make you feel hungry for barbecue. So. I would uh, put that into question. But we'll see. You could be right. Maybe you could tell us in your comments. Maybe it's just me. Okay, yeah. fine. Okay. Thank you, Rafa. Thank you. And that's all for this week down the rabbit hole. Uh-huh. Thank you, Carl. Uh, thank you, Rafa. It was very interesting. And thank you all for listening. Remember, mm. you like it, share it with your friends. Mm, please. Yes, let other people know about down the rabbit hole. Uh, and send us gifts. <laughs> that's a nice idea. Yeah, we love gifts. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can just go, for example, to iTunes, rate, give us a rating there. Yeah, that, that would do. That yeah. would qualify as a gift. That would qualify for mm -hmm. sure. Thank you. See you next week down the road. Yeah, bye. All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. All rights reserved. Dark Mind Radio 2017.